And uh, as we enter into this uh, new series, it's also a good time to come because we're just jumping in, as Lad shared, about this relationship series. And it was fun for me uh, just last night. Um, took my daughter out uh, for her 13th birthday. Yes, today is Mariah's 13th birthday, which means I've now entered the world of parenting a teenager. So let's pray. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> No, but um, I have this uh, a, a picture in my head that I, I really believe will be there I think for the rest of my life, as I sat on one side of the table, and my wife Susie sat there, and and, and Mariah sat right next to her. And uh, amazing to me that in this world, the plan is that I would unite myself with this woman, and through that, God would actually create this beautiful young lady. I mean, is that not enough right there to just, it's just unbelievable to me. That this now this young girl, this 13-year-old girl that I love with all my heart, exists because of a union that happened between me and her mom. Marriage is a pretty amazing thing. So the other thing that was fun is, uh, since it's her 14th year, Susie and I have put together a whole year, a plan for Mariah. And uh, so we were laying that out for her and telling her the different things that we're going to spend time teaching her and training her and experiences that we're going to give her and all that kind of stuff. And, oh, is that funny? I don't <laughs> So, so, um, so in October, so in October, when we got to the month of October, we just let her know that um, it's going to be the month on boys. And so she's like, oh, she, you know, she kind of gets giddy and stuff, and she's thinking, and so we just told her, I said, Mariah, so here's the deal. Uh, you know, we've talked that you're really not going to be able to date until, like, the end of high school. And she's like, What? And she said, I thought you said 16. And I'm like, well, 16, end of high school, whatever. You know, we're talking about that. And she goes, but what, what happens if I really like somebody who's two years older than me? And I'm 16, and then they'd already be out of high school, and they wouldn't even be around to date. And I'm like, see, it's working already. It's a, it's a great plan right there. So we're going to stick with that one. But what's fun, right, is to watch Mariah hit 13 and to see what's happening in her is the same thing that happens in every human being. And that is, there's something inside of us that just wants to be loved. And there's something inside of us that wants to love. And relationship is really, really important. And so today, and throughout this series, I don't care if you're single, I don't care if you're dating, I don't care if you're cohabitating, if you're living with somebody, if you're married today and you're happy, Or if you're married today and you are really struggling, if you're separated, if you're divorced, if you have kids or you don't have kids or you got kids from multiple marriages or whether you're adopt, it it doesn't matter. The point, can you just tell? The point is all of us in this room are in relational situations. And here's what I want to tell you. God cares deeply about the relationships or lack thereof that you're in. And so that's why we need to talk about this thing. And I do want to say this before, I, and then I just want to pray, because we've got a lot to talk about this morning. But before we dive in, I just know this. Anytime we've ever done a series, and this one we actually are. We're going to talk next week about divorce, and then we're going to talk about multi-blended families, and then we're going to talk about the singles. And what's interesting, though, almost every time that we think about doing a marriage series at, at K2, somebody will always say, yeah, but then all the singles are going to be like, why do you always have to talk about marriage? Can I just ask, how many of you are single in here today? All right, okay, about half of you. Like, I didn't get married till I was 34. I did the single thing for a while. And I want to tell you, one of the greatest things that happened to me 
is that I didn't get married until I was 34. Because I can't tell you how many messages on marriage I heard. And I'm going to tell you, if you're single and you don't, if you hear a message on marriage and you don't have your pad of paper out and are taking notes, the best thing at all is to equip yourself now before you ever enter into the deal. It's, I just want to encourage you, man. This is for all of us today, no matter where you're at. Because we're going to dive in to some real things that the Bible teaches us about this unbelievable relationship called marriage. All right? So let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, thank you. Uh, I've been here all morning, so I'm ahead of the game here. I can't wait to share one more time just about you and about the life that we have in you. And we're here. We are. We, we only even exist, God, as a church because we worship you. We really do. We really do believe that you're good and that your ways are right. And we really do believe that you love us and that you care. And so, Lord, here's the other thing we know is you are well aware of every relational situation that's going on in this room. And every heart here matters. So I ask, as we've been learning in Ephesians, I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our heart so that we can know you better. Would you teach us, each one of us, God, what we need to know about you and about marriage, about relationship, so that we can be experiencing here on this earth your design. And we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So that's what I'm going to do. We're talking about real relationships, reality. So I'm just going to hit five things for you today that the Bible tells us are real about marriage, okay? The first two I'm going to hit quick. Um, they're actually incredibly deep. <laughs> Susie kind of helped me. She's like, if you even try to go into the depths of this, it's just going to, it's an ocean. And, and so, but, I, but they're also very foundational. So I do want to make sure I hit those two and then we'll hit, and then we'll kind of lay into the, the, the next three throughout uh, the service. Here's the first thing we need to understand about marriage that there is a real nature of marriage. There is a real nature. So Genesis chapter one, right? You don't even have to open up the Bible and read just a few verses and God's going, all right, let me, lay this, let me just lay this out for you right off the bat. 126, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the name, image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So what we see here is the nature of marriage is actually founded from the nature of God. And this, so this actually matters. So as soon as you enter into a relationship and you're thinking about getting married, this comes from God, you guys. And there's a couple things we see about the nature of God. The first is this. The nature of God is relational. So in the very first, in verse 26, it says right there, let us make mankind in our image. Now, this is Old Testament stuff, right? This isn't Jesus yet. We don't know about Jesus. We don't know all about the teachings of the Holy Spirit, this, this belief that we have as Christians, which I know might sound wacky to some of the Trinity. But here's what, way back, the very first thing we see is God saying, I'm, let us, not let me, I'm going to make mankind in my image. It's not what he says. Let us make mankind in 
our image. So what we discover about God, and this is why I can't get into the depths of this, but what we discover about God is in his nature, he's been relational for eternity. And so what's he say? We have created mankind in our image. And that right there is why every human being longs for relationship. For me personally, I feel like that's a decent argument, one of many, but for why is there a God? Why is it that human beings must be in relationship? Why, if we want to punish you severely, we put you in solitary confinement? It's because you were made in the image of God and in his very nature, he's relational. Now, here's the second thing we understand about the nature of God is he is love. He doesn't just love. He is love and he is holy. So if you put those two things together, what God is in his nature is holy love. What is that? It is a love that never thinks about itself, but is always concerned for the betterment of the other person. That's what love is, and holy love, God's love, is a love that says, I never think about me. And that's what we saw in Jesus Christ. Jesus coming to earth, helping us to see God in the flesh, revealed to us what real love is all about. And what's cool is because of that, the three are one. There is perfect oneness within God because he is holy love. And that is why I believe that every heart is not just longing for relationship, but every heart is saying, I wish I could be fully known and fully loved. I wish there was a love that when it saw all my faults and all my defects wouldn't just bail on me, but would last. See, because holy love doesn't say you bug me and pull back. Holy love says I see all of negativity, but it doesn't matter because I am concerned more about you than I am my own personal happiness. You guys get this? So when we talk about marriage, the first thing we understand is it came from the nature of God. And he's relational and he's holy love. That's why if you read 1 Corinthians 13, his love never fails and his love always perseveres. All right? So, number one, the real nature of marriage. Number two, the real essence of marriage. There is a real essence to marriage. There is a definition. There is a meaning that the Bible gives us to help us understand what marriage is. And it is, in its essence, this sacrificial commitment to the good of the other. Now, in this book, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller, can I just say, all of you should get this and read this. I think I found my new premarital text. This is unbelievable. So Tim Keller, The Meaning of Marriage. Hold on here as I only have one hand. All right. He says, one of the most widely held beliefs in our culture today is that romantic love is all important in order to have a full life, but that it almost never lasts. (laughs) Right? Can we all agree? It's like romantic love is what we're all looking for, And yet we know it doesn't really last. A second related belief is that marriage should be based on romantic love. Well, taken together, those convictions lead to the conclusion that marriage and romance are essentially incompatible. That is, it is cruel to commit people to lifelong connection after the inevitable fading of romantic joy. So if you follow that, it's what he's saying is, Why do we get married? Well, because, man, you make me feel. 
right? You make me feel stuff. I, I'm fallen in love with you, right? Isn't it weird that you can't really control? Isn't that fun? You just can't control falling in love. It's an emotion, and it comes. And we say that marriage must have romantic love, right? Why would I get married if there's no romantic love? And you'll see that Jesus' God in his creation is about romantic love. But how many of us in marriage know that those romantic feelings go away? Can I hear an amen? All right, that's, yes, here. All you single, listen. Okay, get that? It goes away. So if I got married because you make me feel good and because you make me happy, and now all of a sudden we're into the marriage and you don't make me happy anymore, then I'm not obligated to this marriage. Because the reason we got into this deal was because of what you do for me? Okay. So the Bible comes along and it says something really different. Marriage is about sacrificial commitment to the good of the other. So there's this word in the scripture. It's called covenant. We don't use that a lot today. But we know what a covenant is. And in the Bible, there were covenants that were made horizontally between people, and there were covenants that were made with God and God with people. In marriage, it's unbelievable the mystery, which we'll get to in point three, but the depth of the reality of marriage and why it's so important is in marriage, the covenant is made between me and Susie and me and God. So we got the double whammy when you get married. And we see this in Jesus, Matthew chapter 19. So this is cool, right? Now we're in the New Testament. So now we can go, okay, let's, let's see. All right, this is new. I'll listen to this. Matthew 19, Jesus says, haven't you read that at, and here's what's crazy. Where's Jesus go? Genesis 1. At the beginning, the creator made them male and female, and he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, if you go back up to verse, um, verse 5. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. Now, if you know the good old King James, it's for this reason a man will leave and cleave is the word, right? Well, what's that word mean? It means, literally, to be glued to something. To be glued to something. So what happens is, when you stood, if you get married, and you stand before God and before witnesses, the first commitment, the first covenant that, you, that I made with my wife Susie was, I'm becoming one with you. You and I are getting glued together. And what happened is, that word actually became the word that was used for covenant because it's a binding relationship now that you've made between each other but we all know as well in a marriage it's not just you two promising each other or it's not what else happens you make those vows before God and what does Jesus say in verse 6 they are no longer two but one flesh therefore what God has joined together and I want to tell you, man, this is why every time I do a wedding, I stand there, and I, there's, a, there's something inside of me that almost starts to tremble a little bit when we get to these vows and the rings, right? And then I, by the power vested in me, and the, you know, like, ah. Because what's happening? Something supernatural is going on. Not only is there a commitment between two people, 
They've asked God to come into the picture, and somehow supernaturally, he has joined them together. That is, that's what this is all about. Now, I just want to say that I think vows actually are very helpful. Because sometimes we can look at that and say, no, in our culture, right? Why in the world would I ever want to make a vow before God and others to get married when I know that person's going to end up being a jerk eventually, right? And I just know eventually I'm not going to want to be with them anymore. Why would I do that? Because, you guys, vows actually are really important to our human heart. What a vow helps you know is that you're not just declaring your present love. I always challenge people when they say, hey, we want to write our own vows. I'm like, okay, just make sure they're not like, hey, I think you're really cute, and, um, and I, I really love how you do, you know. It's, and, and it, that, that's not what a vow is. A, now, a vow is not declaring how you love the person in the present. A vow is declaring your promise to future love. And you guys, that's, there's security in that. There should be. And there should be safety in that, that this person's standing before God. And so now I have a little more chance to make myself vulnerable because if I just don't measure up, they can't just bail on this thing, right? Because it's a covenant. So, and here's the other thing I want to say about that. It's not just that I won't leave you, okay? Sometimes I think we can actually, if we're Christian, right? Okay, well, I, I made, a, I made a, a, a vow, right, to, until death do us part. And so, but it's not just a vow until you die. It was a vow to do what? Anybody? To love. That's what you all say. I, before God, vow that I will love and cherish you in good and bad and sickness and health and all that stuff. And so, it would part of the, just, so don't sometimes, I think it was Mike Rutledge who mentioned this. He's like, so what can be frustrating is some people can say, well, I'm sticking to my vow right? Until death do me part. I don't have any plan on loving that woman, right? But I'm not going to end it. What was your vow? Love her. Love him. That's what you vowed to, all right? So anyway, that's the essence of marriage. And that's why it's different than just saying, hey, can the two of us just love each other? Yes, sure you can. Of course you can just love each other. Or do you want God to come in and actually make you one? Do you want to be one in spirit? Do you want your two flesh to be united together in the power of God with holy love? It's really different. So I, I, I will say this. Um, the other thing for me is I, a couple of years ago, I finally just realized that for me, I, marriage is actually about worship. In, in other words, what I mean by that is there's plenty of days when I can wake up and I can tell it's all about Dave love. Anybody else have Dave love? Okay, not my love, but what I mean is you can just... You just wake up, and here's what I know about human love. We can even make it look sacrificial, but what we really are doing is we're doing that because we know that they'll at least be happy, right? Or we're doing that because we know that they might respond. And so we can actually have this love that's actually pretty selfish in its nature. And then the truth is sometimes we just wake up and we ain't got it because you're human. And here's what I realized. If I... Stop loving Susie. If she bugs me too much, if she's not what I need her to be, if she falls short of the standard that she said she would be before we got married, and so in light of that, I decide not to love her. 
then who did I just say no to? I just said, God, I don't care. I'm not going to love. And if you don't love, you broke the covenant actually with God. So, now, I'm, I'm, but you guys, on the positive side of this, what that means is, is when I can tell I'm just a selfish jerk today, and I have no intention of sacrificing my life, my life for my wife, yeah, that's how you say it. my life for my wife, what's cool is I stop in that moment and I go, but I worship God. And if, even if you aren't moving me to love you, you move me. I am absolutely committed to you, and I give my life to you. And I'm telling you, that will change your perspective towards your spouse. That's the essence of marriage. All right? Now, here's what we know. Marriage is hard, and it's difficult to do. So here's the deal. There is a, uh, I'm sorry, a nature of marriage, an essence of marriage. Number three, there is a real mystery of marriage. There really is a mystery to marriage. Ephesians chapter 5 put it this way. And this is what's fun, right? So Genesis 1, then Jesus goes back to Genesis 1. Now Paul goes, can I explain marriage? He goes back to Genesis 1. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. Now, what's he saying? He's saying the fact that two human beings get knit together, glued together, that God actually takes two people and makes them one flesh, he goes, this is profound. In fact, in the Greek, it's mega mysterion. Not a great word. It sounds like I'm a superhero or something. But what he's, what, that, it's like, this is unbelievable what happens. Because God wanted us to taste his nature of oneness and how beautiful it is to be in a covenant, never-ending love that's self-sacrificing for each other. It's unbelievable. It's an amazing mystery. And then Paul goes, oh, but I'm actually talking about Christ in the church. So what's that mean? Here's what it means. That how Jesus Christ loves us and how we respond to him, our relationship, the church's relationship with Jesus is actually the perfect design of what your marriage is supposed to be like. So, again, in our Ephesians study on Monday nights, what we're learning is that before the creation of time, God had already determined that Christ was going to come as a Savior of this world. So he knew that Jesus was going to come, and he also knew he was going to create us in his image, that marriage was going to be created, and Christ's coming was going to come and show you and I what it really means to be made one. Okay? Now, so what does that mean? What is the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church? Here, this is so good, you guys. Is what did Jesus do? He came down, it says, he sacrificially gave up his life. And he gave it away on behalf of us. Because he wanted to do everything he could to bring us into relationship with himself. And the cool thing is Jesus didn't come down to earth and go, all right, where are all the beautiful people? Where are all the good people? Where are all the people that go to church all the time? That's not what he did. He came down to earth and he goes, you whole mess? You're a mess. And I'm here for every one of you. And he gave up his life to bring us to himself. Died for us. That's the picture of marriage. And then what's the church? 
The church is a group of people who realize how much Jesus loves them. So they opened up their hearts to him and they said, yes, I want to receive that love. I want to receive forgiveness of my, of my sin. I want to believe that when you were dying there on the cross, you did that for me. Oh my gosh, I can't believe how much you love me. So of course I want you in my life. And of course, as a follower of Jesus, of course I'll submit myself to you. Can I just ask you, why in the world would I submit my life to Jesus Christ? One reason. He loves me. Crazily. He would die and sacrifice for me. And so what Paul was saying is, you guys, let me talk about marriage and about being one and stuff. And he goes, okay, here's how you, if you want your marriage to work, the way it works is you actually get the same love of Christ that he has for you and you give it to your spouse. And that's the mystery right there. Now, in light of that, Okay, if God has done that, then really, I just want to propose to you as we do our last two points here, that the way that you and I can make our marriage work is that we look at Christ and we see the kind of love that he has. We receive it. We implement it into our own being and we actually treat our spouse the same way that God treats us. And if we would do that, it'd be amazing. Now, in light of that, here's the fourth real thing. Okay. And that is that there is real sin in marriage. Can I hear an amen on that one? Oh, lots of amen. All right. We don't have to worry about that. Why? Because look at, look at what Paul says here in Ephesians. He's going to describe marriage for us. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. Now, As soon as I look at these verses that are up on the screen and I read those, is there any reason our marriages are struggling? Like how many of you right there when you heard the word submit, oh, you just went, oh, good, right? You know, what happened? You know, the the, the hair grows up on the back of your neck and you're like, I hate that word. Why Why do we writhe at the thought that we should submit to one another? Why? Because if I have to submit That means your way gets done and not mine. Right? I mean, if we're saying, if I'm submissive, then that means that you get to do what you want and I have to do whatever you want and you get to tell me what to do and I have to do Now, I'm not doing that. And, And so, but here's what's interesting, you guys. When Jesus Christ was on earth, do you know that he was perfectly submissive to his father? Did you know that in the very nature of God is submission? And so we don't want to submit because why? Because I'm in this because I have certain things I want done. Now, we look at that last verse, go down to 25. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Hello? How many guys are doing that? How many guys are absolutely giving up their life every day for their wives? See, you guys, our sin says, I don't want to submit. And our sin says, I don't want to give up my life. Why? Because we're sinful. We just are. And this is what hurts our relationships, is I really got married to you so that you could make my life better. I really married you so you could make me happy. 
and you're just not doing that anymore. And what God has said is, that's not what this is about. And here's the other thing. Our, our, it's not just our own sin. The other issue is we walk into our marriages being sinned against. In other words, we walk into our marriages with wounds. And every single one of us does. For some of you in this room, it was your parents. And you've been severely hurt by your parents. Some of you have been abused in your past. Unbelievable to me. In counseling with people, the percentage of people who have been so wrongfully treated. For some of you, you had past dating relationships. I tell you, this is why I'm, I'm serious with my daughter. You, we can talk about it. I'm serious. I, I, I just know that how much dating is because the guy's interested in helping the, the esteem of my daughter. Hello, right? What we really do in dating is I got some needs and I'd like your heart so I can use it and suck the life out of it and give it back to you. I mean, right? I'm just like, this is just a mess. And so many of you dated in the hopes and somebody dropped you like a whatever. And, and it's hurt you. And some of you have been married. And you got wrongfully treated in your marriage. And so now what? We, we find somebody and we go, okay, here we go again. And we walk into our marriages. We've got these big walls up. Because you want to be loved. And so you're willing to try again. And yet your heart is so hurt by sin done to you even that you're just protecting it. And now it's so hard to forgive somebody. It's so hard to actually repent, to change your ways because you're trying to protect your heart. I tell you, man, marriage is a mystery and it is hard work. But now let me close with this. And I want to tell you, I believe this with every fiber of my being. And that is that there is real hope for marriage. There really is. In the midst of all of our sin and in the midst of all of our woundedness, there is real hope. And here it is, Ephesians, Ephesians 5, it says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her to make her what? Holy. Holy. What's holy? Holy is, holy love means, I, again, what? I'm set free from myself. So I actually now can think about others. How cool is it when Jesus gave himself up for us, he's like, I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to actually make you like me to have the ability to love someone more than you love yourself. In 2 Corinthians 5.15, it says, Christ died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. That's what he came for. So here we are, we're all in these relationships and we're both living for ourselves and we're hurting each other and we're, 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 we won't forgive each other and we're, we're, we just got conflict, got the gazoo, right? And God's coming in and saying, I can actually save you from that. I can save you from your sin. I came to make you holy so that you would no longer live for yourselves. How many of you would go, really? Could that actually happen? And then the verse goes on to say that you would no longer live for yourselves, but that you would live for him who died for you and rose again. And see, so again, what's marriage? I made a covenant to him to love my wife. 
And what Jesus can do is come in and actually forgive you of all of your sin. The Bible says he can take it away and he can replace it with his love. And now all of a sudden, you can actually say yes to God when before you couldn't. And now you can actually care for somebody more than yourself where before you couldn't. And he wants to go into your wounds and into those places and bring healing for you. So Romans 5, 5 puts it this way. Hope doesn't disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. Is there hope for marriage? I can tell you this. There is if God's love can be poured into my heart. If it's up to you to try to be better, if it's up to you to try not to be as angry or whatever, good luck. But what if God would pour his love that's holy into your heart through the Holy Spirit? See, now you have a source outside of yourself that becomes inside yourself so you can live the life that he created you to live. In verse 8, it says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You guys, here's the gospel, and here's how it affects you. The gospel simply lets you know you are way more screwed up than you ever imagined. No, seriously, you are way more screwed up than you ever imagined. And you are way more loved than you ever even dared to hope for. The gospel points out your sin and how much you actually do rebel against God. And then that finger that points it out is connected to the hand that offers you his life. There's nothing like seeing yourself for this sinner that you are and having a God who should just go, instead go and embrace you. And once God demonstrates his own love for you in that way, and you really do understand the gospel for your own self, then you can give that to another human being. And then, can you imagine, right? You're sitting there and your spouse has fallen short. They're driving you crazy. They're just bad habits. are going out the kazoo and they're unfailing. And something inside of you goes, awesome. Just the right time. See, there's something inside of you, at least in the other services, everybody just started to chuckle because that ain't going to happen. Because human love goes, if you're like that, I'll just step back here and you get your act together. Maybe I'll, right? That's what human love does. God goes, can I demonstrate my love? You fall completely short and I die for you. Imagine having that love in your heart. That's why the Bible says that God's love never fails and it always perseveres. And I want to tell you, there's hope for your marriage if you would let that type of love into your heart. And I just want to encourage you. Jesus offers that to every one of you. Every one of you in this room, he says, I will forgive you of all of your sin, and I will love you with a holy love. I will give my life to you. But if you receive me, guess what? You do receive me as Lord. I will come in, and I will start to change you, and now you'll live for me. And if you live for me, guess what you're going to do? You're going to love people the way I love you. 
that's not such a bad deal, is it? If you receive Christ, you'll start loving people the way that he loved you. And isn't it weird? Our flesh goes, I don't know. I kind of like this conflict stuff. I like the bitterness I feel. I mean, seriously. It's, I'll just be honest with you, knowing that love of God, it's just kind of crazy to me that we wouldn't want that. And then we would fight that so we could still be in control of our lives. So there is a real nature in marriage. It's a holy love from God. There's a real essence in marriage, and it is this commitment of a covenant to say, I will love you. I'm not in this for me. There's a mystery in marriage that reveals the love of Jesus to us. There is real sin in your marriage, no question, and there always will be, but there's real hope with the love of God that loves a sinner. So let me pray for you. Well, God, uh, I've known this for 26 years, and I never, ever, ever get tired of hearing this. I need to hear it all the time, that you died for me, a sinner, that you did not ask me to get my act together before you left me. Thank you. Thank you for forgiving me of all of my sin. And thank you for giving me the Holy Spirit so that I could actually receive your love to offer others around me. And Lord, I pray for every single person here who dreams one day of being married. And I pray that you would root them and ground them and establish them in your love so that before they ever say, I do, they would be looking at that person saying, I can't wait to sacrificially commit to care more about you than I do myself. I can't wait to treat you like Jesus treats me. And God, for all of us who are married, would you please come and give us new hope? For those, God, in this room who still struggle to really believe that this could be true, that they could have a Holy Spirit from God, from you, inside them, changing them, setting them free from sin. Would you just enlighten the eyes of their heart? Would you let them know today they could put their faith in you, Jesus, and be completely transformed for eternity? I pray for that. God, for those of us who are just hurting, where relationships have so wounded us that we don't even think about going back in there, would you come and be comforter and healer, and restorer. Would you bind up those wounds and give them the freedom to take down their walls and be able to love and be loved by your grace and your mercy. And we ask for it in Jesus' name, amen.